0: Let's hear it for my team. They did a good job, did they? You guys out so great. We're finishing up Leviticus, okay? Next week we start Stranger Things. Uh, we're gonna talk about some of the supernatural things that happen in the Bible. Numero uno is the resurrection. I don't know if you've been putting the calendar together. Next weekend is Easter, you guys. 22-0, 20, 20 Easter services at our three campuses. For those of you that are new at Orlin, we start on Thursday night. We have Monday Easter. For those of you that grew up Catholic, we have Monday Easter, we have Good Easter. We have two on Friday, we have three on Saturday, and three on Sunday because we're going to have, uh, you know, 17,000, 18,000 people probably next weekend worship with us. And I want to encourage you to be inviting your friends and telling them about it as, uh, as we celebrate the resurrection together and do it. I mean, it's so important. But the reason that we're doing, that we're talking about the law and all that, all that silly nonsense, I just want you to know it's not because I'm hoping to make you better people, okay? That's not it. It's to understand why we need Jesus. I mean, we have to preach about, like, the baggage. We have to preach about our addictions. We have to preach the seven deadly sins. I mean, I want you to live a better life because the sin is messing up your life and my life. I want that to happen. But the truth is... I know you're not going to be perfect. I know I'm not going to be perfect. We have so many ways that we mess up. We have to come up with new terms for the things that we do as we mess up. They did a little, uh, one newspaper did a, did, a, did a contest and said, you know, send us in some definitions of some new ways that, that you know, some new phobias or some new sicknesses or illnesses that people have today. Phonesia was one of the winners. Phonesia is the affliction of dialing a phone number and then forgetting who it was that you were dialing in the first place. And uh, who is this? Oh, Phonesia, okay. Telecrastination. Telecrastination is the act of always letting the phone ring two or three times to, just so they don't look like, you don't look like you're over-anxious, even if it's in your hand already. You're just like, oh, yeah, it's ringing. I'm going to wait, right? That's telecrastination. That's it. Lactomangulation. Lactomangulation. Yeah, that's the act of mangling the open here spot on the orange juice or the milk so badly that you can't get the carton open, and you have to resort to the opposite illegal side of the milk carton. That's lactomangulation. Disconfect. That's what we do when we drop a piece of candy and we pick it up and we blow on it <laughs> as if we're going to get the germs to go away. That's disconfect. But my favorite, you know you've all done it, car perpetuation. Car perpetuation is the act of when vacuuming, running over a string or a piece of lint at least a dozen times, finally reaching down, picking it up, looking at it, and setting it back down on the floor to try it again. How many people have done that? Car perpetuation. You see, the, the longer time goes, the more messed up we are. So we walk into church on Palm Sunday weekend, and, and and many of you might have grown up with a tradition of the church and whatever in Palm Sunday, and you remember that as a kid you got these palm branches, you know, and you would wave them. And Because Jesus wrote in on Sunday, he wrote in on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, and they waved their banners and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, right? Well, my, they've been doing this in the kids' department. My wife told me that last week they had a little extra time somehow. Um, so she's teaching the three- and four-year-olds, and they're doing the palm branches thing, and she's teaching them all about, you know, what they did, Jesus rides in on the donkey. And my wife decides to go a little bit off-script, okay, uh, a little off-script. She, she has them line up with the palm branches, and, and she got down on all fours and became Jesus' donkey, there's so much material there, I don't even, I'm not even going to touch it, okay? But, but all the kids are like lining up, waving their palm branches, saying, Hosanna to my wife, who's Jesus' donkey. And then, of course, all of them, the three and four-year-olds, they want to do it too. So they start up this little line, and all the kids are there, and one kid gets to come around, and he gets to walk through the line, be the donkey, or be Jesus, or whatever. I mean, I told her, honey, that is heresy. You understand that, right? I mean, that's such bad theology. So I just want you to know, if your kids grow up and join, you know, Tom Cruise and Scientology someday, and you're like, where did I go wrong? It wasn't you. It was my wife's third three-year-old classroom, Miss Denise. She's the one that was it, okay? So, 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 so Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, and you probably don't really put this together very often, but they're yelling, Hosanna, yay, the king, on Sunday, and five days later on Friday, they're yelling, crucify him. That's what crowds do, all right? They were like you Cub fans who gave up, you know, on the Cubs, except, I mean, they gave up on Jesus in five days. I mean, it took you Cub fans like 70, 80, 90, 100 years to finally. But but, but they did the same thing, too, you know? It's like Jesus rises from the dead. They went and dusted out their Cub stuff, got their hat back out, and acted like nothing ever happened again because humans are fickle. We're faithless. That's who we are. So today, whether you're a palm waver or a donkey, either way, you're definitely not Jesus as we celebrate Palm Sunday. And, and probably, I'm guessing, we all fall into one of three categories as we approach this weekend. All right, uh, There are those who think that I'm doing pretty good, I'm not, I'm not that bad, maybe, maybe I'm okay, I don't know that I need the crucifixion or the resurrection. There are those in category number two who are looking at the ceiling, thinking, "Oh man, it's coming down. The roof is coming down." Because if if God knew, if people knew what God knows about me and what I've done, my sorry, sinning, backsliding, backside should not be in church. God can't possibly want to forgive me. And category number three is where I hope to bring us all today, and that's those of us who know that we're in the roof-caving category, but because of Jesus and what he does for us next weekend, we can get in. I I want us to get to that point today, and that's why we study Leviticus. I want you to go back and, and look online if you haven't seen it, and welcome for those of you that are watching online. I learned a lot going back through this again. The bottom line thing that we've learned from all the rules and regulations and all this stuff is that it's just pointing us to Jesus, I mean, the more, the more you realize how screwed up you are, the more you realize you need Jesus. Therefore, Paul said, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Can you just grab a hold of that? There's no way you can be good enough to get to heaven. Rather, what was the law for? Well, it's for us to become conscious of the sin that we have. And I think that's the problem. I think a lot of times we're, we're like, oh, you know what, I'm not, that, I'm not doing that bad. I'm a, if we're grading on the curve, I'm okay. So every once in a while I have to just stop and do the Ten Commandments test. Okay. I want you to keep close count because I want you to grade yourself on the Ten Commandments. And you've got to tell me how many of these that you have never broken. Right, if you, if you broke it once, you broke it. The Bi- the Bible tells us that, and of course, you have to keep them all before you get to be declared righteous according to the law. Uh, and you know you're not going to make that. But let's just see if you think you're going to get an A or a B or a C. Let's just see how this goes. Okay. Uh, l- remember that Thomas the Train thing we've been doing here. This is how we're supposed to be when we're perfect and we're holy. We're connected to God, and this relationship is the way that it's supposed to be. But in the Garden of Eden. We became the wrong magnet. We became the wrong side, and we can't be connected unless we're perfect or God does something to reunite us all over again. Ten Commandments. First Commandment says you will have no other gods before me. If you've never put any other gods in front of our God, then you're good with that. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you measure that? That's hard, isn't it? I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out on your own. I mean, I, I, I never, you know, worshiped you know, Baal or, or, you know, Molech or any of those other gods along the way. I never worshiped Zeus or, or Jupiter or whatever. I mean, that's, that, that was not my deal, but I probably would have a hard time saying I always kept that one the way that it should be. You just figure that out. No other gods before me. Okay. If that, if you got that one, that's one. Okay. Number two, graven images, no idols. I say we all just take that one because you probably don't have a golden calf in your house anywhere. and You probably haven't bowed down to another idol. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of idols that we have in our lives. So you got to decide what you want to give yourself on that one. That's number two. Number three, don't take the name of God in vain. And we'll keep going. Number four. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you have always had a priority of worship in your life, you get number four. Number five, honor your father and your mother. If that's been something, you just decide how that's going. If you're sitting next to your mother or father or your child, you can elbow each other right now. You figure that out. Number five, it's up to you. You shall not kill, number six. And you're like, oh, finally. I know I got this one, right? Except that... Place where Jesus is teaching one day, and he said, You've heard it said, You shall not murder. I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. You figure it out. I don't I don't care. It's up to you. All right. Number seven, adultery. Not commit adultery. Again, Jesus said, Listen, it's really not about what happens on the outside. It's always about what happens on the inside. And if you lust after another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. So, you know, figure that out, right? And then eight, nine, and ten, that's like Amen Corner at Augusta National, all right? Thou shalt not steal, lie, or covet. Nobody, nobody scores well there, okay? Right? I shall not steal, you shall not lie. If you said, oh, I've never lied, you just lied and you just broke number nine. <laughs> So take that one back off again and you shall not covet. Come on, I mean, how, how is that even possible? Do you see what I'm saying? So let me ask. How many of you got 100% on the test? Anybody get 100%? Anybody get a 90? Anybody get a 90? 80? 70? Anybody get a C? Okay, I'm going to stop there because some of you married people are looking at each other funny right now, and I I don't want to deal with that anymore. But, But the truth of the matter, you see what I'm saying? That's what the law does for us. It helps us to understand, well, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm good. I think I'm solid on three and maybe four of the Ten Commandments. Dr. Tim Harlow, senior pastor, been a Christian all my life, I'm sure I got three and four maybe. But that still flunks. And they're none of your business, by the way. (laughs) When I line myself up against the Ten Commandments when I line myself up against the book of Leviticus, what I realize is that I'm not good enough. I can't be declared righteous. So what we've seen as we've gone through Leviticus is that Jesus has to be the fulfillment of all of this. And, and Leviticus in the Old Testament is pointing us to what Jesus is going to be. So the way it went in the Jewish calendar is they had this thing called the Feast of Trumpets, which was this 10-day period of fasting and soul-searching and you know, New Year's resolutions that they were going to make and all this stuff. Ten days, they're just just really feeling bad and understanding all the sins that they've done, and that leads them up to the Day of Atonement. It's in early fall. The Jews still celebrate the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, and that's in Leviticus 16. And and a good way to remember atonement is at-one-ment, okay? The whole idea there is, I want to be at one with God. So on the at one day, that's centered around several animal sacrifices and the scapegoat we're going to talk about today and the high priest. And that would be the day. That would be the day that they can go, okay, we're all at one with God. Now, why do we need a priest? Well, you can't access God on your own because you're not holy, right? You're over here. You can't get there. So the best thing that God could do for them at that point was to set them up with a situation where they had somebody that was really good that could go into the presence of God on behalf of them. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer sacrifices and go into the Holy of Holies and be there with the the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ten Commandments are inside of here and all this stuff is going on. And one day he would go behind the curtain. We talked about that last week. He would go in there and he would be there and he would be with God. And he would come back out and say, hey, everybody, it's okay. Everything's okay with God again. We are at one with God again. And they had to do that every year. It was the most important day of the year. But only one guy got to do it. We talked last week about how when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split from top to bottom. From top to bottom. God saying, look, there's no more veil. You can have direct access to me. You don't need a priest anymore. But back here, what they had to have was this one guy that did everything the right way that went in and spoke for them. Leviticus 16, this is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put the sacred linen tunic, put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. Guessing this is where the Mormons get the holy underwear thing. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. Then he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. So there's all these special things that he is supposed to do, and this is the background picture that you need to have. As and Just picture, there's a hundred, hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people gathered around, maybe millions of people gathered around the tabernacle, and they're all gathered around here, and the high priest, their one guy is going to go in, he's going to bathe, he's got all his special stuff, he's done all his special sacrifices, and he's going to go in and be your representative before God. So it's like... The star player on your basketball team, you're down by one, he has the ball, he's going to make the shot, and everybody's waiting around. You better hope he's been keeping the commandments. You better hope it, he, he's done all the right cleansing things and all the right sacrifices and has on his holy underwear. You better make sure that he's got all those things down. Actually, according to tradition, they would keep the guy up all night, the night before he went in, just so that he didn't maybe have accidentally an inappropriate dream before he went in. That's how significant this was. True story. It was that important. It was that awesome. This was that day. The high priest is going in to, to, to go before God on your behalf. Aaron was the first high priest back when Moses was setting this up. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself. And his household. He has to go through all these rituals and all these things. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats one for the Lord and one for the scapegoat. Now you understand the idea of a scapegoat, right? That's where we transfer the blame to somebody else. Do you have children? Okay, you understand scapegoat. I didn't do it. He looked at me. She started it. He touched me. Okay, you got that? I want to put the blame on somebody else. But what if you actually could put the blame on somebody else? That was the whole ceremony. And the word scapegoat, azazel, remember that word is beautiful, azazel, meant take it away. Take it away. Take my sin away. I want the scapegoat to take it away. The man appointed to the task would Azazel the Azazel goat so that it is removed and is no longer here. So we need a goat. Bring out your goat. I told you I was having a goat. Come on. (laughs) He's not so sure about you guys. Every other service, he's just run out here. He's been really anxious. There's something going on out here. Thank you, Jenny. Oh, just in case, huh? Come here, Billy. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come Come on. Come out here in front. See everybody. Oh, oh, oh. There we go. There we go. See? It's okay. That's all right. Um, Cub fans, this is Billy. (laughs) He was born in 1945. You may have been to his tavern. Left town last October, and we brought him back. Okay, that's all the cub jokes I'm going to make. You doing okay, buddy? The scapegoat. I right, know. Aaron shall bring the goat who it falls to. Listen to this. Shall bring the goat whose lot it no The reason he's nervous is he doesn't know which goat he is. Okay? <laughs> Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot it falls to the Lord to fo- and sacrifice it for the sin offering. Not you. You're okay. All right? But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used in making atonement at onement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Okay? Remember that the Eastern mind always thought in pictures. Okay? It always taught in pictures. This is why Jesus taught so much with stories and with pictures is because it was great for them to be able to see what was going on. And the whole idea of this is that there's this 10 days of repentance and then there's this very sacred, powerful moment where the priest is going to go in. And then there's also this moment where he's going to take all the sins of the people, the communal guilt for all the people, and symbolically place them on the head of the goat. And then they're going to take the goat away and never see it again and know that their sins are covered. I mean, it's like several different ways to take care of it. It's a moment of huge seriousness. Whether the goat got it or not, it was very serious, very important. Because they believed that God could take their sin and place it on somebody else and it could go away. Azazel. And this time, instead of dying the blood covering the sin, this time the goat would be led away and had to actually live with the sin. I mean, the goat doesn't care, but you understand symbolically how different this is. This is why I think it's important that you understand that Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years and became one of us and lived with us. And he lived with the sinful world that we had to, to, that we had to be a part of. Now, i got to ask you something. Do you think that anybody... Saw the scapegoat deal and saw the picture of this and said, I don't need that. I don't want my sin taken away. Of course not. Of course not. If God provides a way for you to take your junk and put it on something else and send it away and never have it come back again, you're going to do it. I know you're a goat lover and all that stuff, but you're going to do it. So, what is that junk that you're carrying around? What is that sin? What is that addiction? Have you been betrayed? Have you been cheated? and had unforgiveness in your heart? Have you got baggage? Is there something going on in your life? If you could take that, if God could take that and place it on the head of this goat and let it go far, far away, wouldn't you want it to happen? Listen. When Aaron has finished making atonement, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites and all their sins and put them on the goat's head. Feel this, okay? All of your guilt is being transferred. Come over here and look at them, they're nice. All of your sin is being transferred over to this goat. He symbolically takes the sin. He places it on the goat's head. And then it says, he shall send the goat away into the desert to care in the care of a man appointed for that task. And the goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a solitary place and the man will release it into the desert. All of those sins, the goat will carry itself, all the sins to a solitary place, and the man will release it into the desert. Who's going to be the person to do that? Well, tradition tells us that usually they found some Gentile person that didn't have any connection to Israel at all that would take the goat and lead it out into the desert, lead it three days, at least three days away so that they would never see the goat again because you don't want this goat showing up in your backyard. He's got everybody's sin on him, right? All right, fast forward to Holy Week and Jesus. Jesus has been arrested, brought before a man named Pilate. His own community has, set, has turned on him in five days and said, Hosanna on Sunday and crucify him on Friday. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And Pilate took him to the crowd and said, Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted. What did they shout? They shouted, crucify him, right? Yeah, but not first. Not in John's account. They shouted, take him away. Literally, in Hebrew, they said, "Azazel." crucify him. That's what they said first. Jesus became our scapegoat. He became our Azazel. And the man who took the scapegoat out of the city was a Gentile. Notice what happens. They, the Romans, the Gentiles, mocked Jesus, took the robe, put, it on, put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him outside of the city. That's the same thing. Jesus became our Azazel. That's what he became. A Gentile took him out of the city. That's what happened. And then Jesus became both the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat at the same time. So the man appointed to the task would take the goat and lead him away. Jenny, come and get this guy again. Come on, buddy. It's all good. You may have to carry him. Yeah. Thanks. And your sin just went away. Is that good news or is that good news? Come on. Can you I mean do you see the picture of that what an incredible sight as they're all standing around there they've all been waiting for the priest to come out they're they're all hoping that this is another good year and they take the goat away and everybody's like all right we're good okay listen to Isaiah 53 now some of you've heard this scripture before it's about Jesus but listen in the realm of the scapegoat now that you understand it Jesus was despised and rejected a man of sorrows acquainted with our deepest grief We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. You see that? Jesus was our Azazel. He removed the sin far away from us, made us perfect in the sight of God. Sacrificial goat, scapegoat, all at the same time. So if you've been trying to pay for your own sins and trying to be good enough, I hope you understand that all you need to do is accept Jesus and make this thing happen in your life. Just say yes to Jesus because he's already taken it away from you. And quit fooling yourself and thinking that you're going to make it on the basis of the law. You need help. I need help. And for those of you in category number two who are thinking the roof's going to cave in and there's just no way God could want to forgive me, Please understand, it didn't matter if you got a 20 or a 60 on the test. You still weren't going to get in. You break one part of the law one time, you're out. We're all in the same boat. And I could preach about it, but one of my favorite scenes from the Passion of the Christ movie was a scene where the woman who's caught in the act of adultery is cleaning up the blood of Jesus and processing what it was that he did for her. Let's watch. So the next time somebody tries to remind you of your past, the next time somebody gets up a a stone in their hand and starts to throw it at you, you should respond like this. I don't see a goat. Next time the devil wants to get you to stumble by bringing up that baggage that we're leaving on the back wall back here, it's going to be gone next weekend because it's out of here. The next time Satan says, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, I want you to tell him the goat has left the building. It's not here anymore. My sin is gone. Yeah, I'm still messed up, but I'm Jesus now, and I don't have to worry about it. He took my sin, and he took it far away from me, and I never have to see it again. He died and paid the price. The veil has been split from top to bottom. I can now go into the presence of God as an imperfect person. I can be here. My train has been reconnected to my father because my sin has been taken care of. The goat has left the building. I'm holy now forever and ever. If you ask me, this is why so many churches and so many religions get fixated on rules. Because if you lose who you are in Jesus, then all you do is talk about rules all the time. I love what Stuart Briscoe said. He said, if we've taught people who they are in Christ, we probably wouldn't have to spend as much time telling them what to do. If you start realizing who you are, that you're a perfect son or daughter of God, then God knows about the baggage. God knows about it, but he's telling you the goat has left the building. You don't have to live with it anymore. You have freedom. God looks at me, and he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. That is the power of the Holy Week. That is the power of Lent. That is the power of this season is that everything is gone. And the difference, you say, say, well, they had Yom Kippur, we have Easter, right? Yeah, the difference between the Day of Atonement and Easter is that the Day of Atonement had to happen for the Jews every year. It still does. And, And it's not something that they celebrate and remember. It's something that they have to do every year to take care of their sins. The children of Israel, they had to go get new goats next year. Right, Because that goat's been taken care of already. They had to go get new bulls and new goats and new lambs and continue to sacrifice. You can't just be gone to Florida on spring break and miss Yom Kippur. You had to be there. It had to be your thing. It was about you. And if we get the idea of this, you could imagine how after all of these years of living in this system, they were longing for a once and for all sacrifice. Couldn't we just do this once and for all? And listen to this. The high priest and the priests. What a job. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. I want you to hang on to that. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We know this. he's going to come back. We're going to do it again. But when this priest, Jesus, the high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We usually miss that standing, sitting thing because it's such a beautiful passage anyway about Jesus taking away our sins. He's taking care of it. But this says, our high priest sat down. Now you understand Leviticus because in the Levitical system, the priest could never sit down. They kept sinning over and over again. And you and I shouldn't keep sinning, but we're going to because we're imperfect. Here's what it says. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Why would he sit down? Because the last thing that he said from the cross, Jesus, the scapegoat, the Azazel, the last thing he said from the cross was, It is finished. I don't preach, it's done. The goat has left the building. So the Hebrew writer said, therefore, brothers and sisters, okay, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, not by keeping the law, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. That's what he always wanted. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that our faith brings. Full assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Isn't that beautiful? And have our bodies washed, right? I mean, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to do baptisms, Uh, mass baptisms. not baptism mass. It's mass baptisms. But whatever works for you, it doesn't matter. It means that we're going to do a bunch of them. So far, 128 people have been baptized at all of our campuses already, and we're not done yet. Let's hear it for those people. I'm telling you that. Some cool, cool, cool stories already. I'm telling you that because I want you to know there's going to be a bunch of people at, at this service, and I'm going to jump in the tub, and I'm going to be there. There's going to be a bunch of people that are going to want to do it, and I want to encourage you to do it. Listen to this. Having our bodies washed with pure water, that was the, a direct symbol of baptism. Remember the picture, that they were always looking for the pictures in their minds. and they the, You'll never forget the goat, will you? You'll never forget the scapegoat thing because you've seen it. And that's what water baptism was for us the same very same thing and, and, and Peter said it this way he said this water symbolizes baptism that saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience to God have you pledged a clear conscience to God have you done it don't you want to do that before the Easter season starts I know most of you grew up in a system where you were baptized as a baby and then confirmed it later, and that's fine. I'm not arguing about that. That's not the point. The point is the symbolism It's not not you're confirming something that happened to you when you were a baby. The symbol, the picture is you saying, as a believer, I'm going to unite myself with the death and burial and resurrection. And this is why we do immersion. And again, we're not arguing with the sprinkler people or anybody else. but, But the whole picture of baptism is to die and to be buried and then to raise again that's how the whole thing was supposed to be. If you haven't done that, why don't you do it today? Oh, well, Tim, I couldn't do it today. I'm planning on doing it today. Nobody in the Bible planned on doing it. Actually, the only person that planned it was Jesus. and, And it's just kind of ironic that Jesus decided to get baptized because he was perfect. He didn't need to get baptized. But he said, I want to do it to fulfill all righteousness. And he showed up, and John said, whoa, whoa, I can't baptize you. And he said, no, I want you to baptize me. It's that important of a word picture for me. I want you to baptize me. Nobody else in the Bible ever planned it out. They went immediately. Book of Acts, the church starts 3,000 people. Boom. They just went for it. You say, well, I don't have a towel. Well, I got a whole lot of towels. I got everything for you. Worked out really well last night because the goat peed on the floor, and I could clean it up right there. Nobody had to use that towel. We threw it away, okay? Uh, Well, I don't have a change of clothes. You know what? Your clothes are going to dry. Well, I'm wearing something light colored. Well, hey, we got dark colored T-shirts for you to wear. Well, I got to drive home. I'll get my car seats all wet if I get baptized in my clothes. We got trash bags for you. Put them right there on your leather bucket seats and everything will be fine. I got it covered. We got everything covered. And, hey, while we're talking about it, did you happen to notice that it's 70 degrees outside? When are you people going to start realizing that when we have mass baptism weekend, it's always going to be a beautiful weekend? You need to start planning your outdoor projects for mass baptism weekend. Get your mulch delivered or whatever it is you're doing, because this is going to be the one. God's saying, oh, baptism weekend, boom. Maybe we should have baptism weekend every weekend. I hadn't thought about that yet. (laughs) Let's have it in January and February and see what happens. What about my stuff? I got my cell phone and all my precious, my precious. Okay, we got a bag for you. Okay, we I promise we do, okay? And then a lot of times people are like, well, I, I you know, I don't have my family here. And I get that. I, I do. And Maybe you need to, you know, decide what that's all about. But here's what I want you to understand. This is about you and your, your family, your heavenly father. It's not about you and your earthly family. It's about you and your heavenly family. And... If this is your day, do it. Again, please remember the Eastern mind pictures. And I think we all understand pictures, stories. That's how the whole thing was supposed to go. When you die in there, in that tub, your old self is dead. Listen to Paul. Those of us who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus or baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. You see the symbolism. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You talk about celebrating Easter. There you go. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin and baggage and addiction and all those things might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's do it. Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said, "It's not I who live; it's Christ who lives in me." That's how we're supposed to be living our life and celebrating now. So, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to sing a worship song. We're going to have everybody stand so that it's easy for you to slide out. Just go to the back of the auditorium. There will be people there that will help you get ready to go. And uh, as soon as I jump in, I'm going to jump in in my clothes. You can jump in in your clothes. As soon as I jump in, you know we'll start baptizing the people that are ready. And I want you just to watch. And you're welcome. And we're going to sing this song and I'll I'll give a benediction and all that stuff. Uh, But I want you just to watch for a while. And then if you want to stay around and watch after it's over, we will keep baptizing as long as it goes. But if this is your day, it's perfect. Look, here's water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? That's what they said in the Bible. That's what I'm saying to you. Let's stand together and we're going to pray. Lord, be with us right now as we watch some of our friends and family. I've, I've been loving seeing People come up to the people in the tub that didn't even know they went to this church and (laughs) congratulating them. They saw them on camera. I love the fact that we have one big family in you. and Over all of our campuses today, I know this is going on, that people are giving their life to you. Lord, if there are people here who have never accepted the grace of Jesus, please let this be the day where they just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And let them get dunked, because that's what they did in the Bible. Immediately, they went and got dunked. They went and united themselves in the burial so that they could be united in the resurrection. And, Lord, maybe there's some people here who did it, confirmed it, baptized a baby, whatever. Today, you're just tugging on their heart saying, hey, why don't you do this for you? Why don't you do this for you? Commit yourself, recommit yourself to what you know Jesus did for you on that cross. Have this picture in your mind. Every time there's sin later on, every time there's a problem later on, you can always look back on this moment and say, I died to that old me, and it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Be with us as we do this. It's in your name what we pray. Amen.